Matt Bergman, and you're listening to the Punk Rock Libertarians podcast, episode 272. This is our 420 special. Tonight, I am live with Jared Schneiderman. Hey, what's up, everybody? G.I. Mary Jane. What's going on? James Babb. Hello. And special guest, Ademo Freeman. Ademo is the... Ademo is the co-founder of copblock.org. Um, Ademo also did uh, Motorhome Diaries with Pete Ayer. And uh, Ademo has done like a, just like a, a ton of like activism work. If you haven't heard of Copblock, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine not it hearing. It might be Copblock. that time. Might, might, enough time has might have passed. The kids out there might not have heard of it. Well, right. Yeah. Some time has passed, but uh, like for, for me, Coplock was like the, the first page that I noticed that really, um, really stepped down hard on like the police accountability stuff. You know, I think you guys were real trendsetters. You guys were doing that years before like black lives matter, you know? And right. uh, yeah, you, you guys are I like, I remember when I first was, when I remember first pointing a camera at a cop and it was a 50, 50 scenario that you were going to go to jail. You know what I'm saying? I remember like Pete and I driving to places in the RV and just like for hours discussing out scenarios, which really helped us in the, in the latter. Like, you know, it wasn't so much that we were like planning on getting arrested. It was just Pete and I always had the same philosophy. If you plan for the worst then you can handle anything less, you know? And so a lot of that helped out. But I, so yeah, you know, uh, I remember that back when only the only other people I knew filming the police before I started cop lock was, um, cop watch. You know, and I kind of started it because of their don't ask questions, just stand there and film mentality. And I was like, well, that don't really work for me. So. Hey, um, Adima, what did you guys start first? Was it Cop Lock or Motorhome Diaries? Motorhome Diaries was first in um, 2008. So mm-hmm. that's how I met uh, Pete Ayer and Jason Talley. Jason Talley is the other founder of the Motorhome Diaries. And what the Motorhome Diaries was, was uh, uh, Pete and Jason who bought an RV and decided they were going to travel the country. And the tagline was searching for freedom in America. Right. Clearly we all probably know the answer to this, to that question on whether or not it was found, but that was the principle of it. And along the way they stopped in Chicago and I went down there to meet up with them uh, after exchanging some emails and I was going to like tag along in their RV for a year. And it turned out to be a, a much longer stint. But so, yeah, we did that first. And then it was in after Motorhome Diaries, um, there was um, a time where Pete, me and Jason had some time off and then Jason didn't join us back in the RV. And uh, that's when Pete and I continued on with what was called Liberty on Tour. And shortly before we created that, we uh, together founded Coplock. So Liberty on Tour and Coplock kind of coincide one another cop lock was january of 2010 and liberty on tour was april of 2010 wow you know like i i'd watched a bunch of like liberty on tour stuff but that like was so badass that was so good yeah it, it was it was just it was just like a while ago when i saw it so like i i forgot about it so i feel like a bad host for not mentioning it but i'm glad that oh, you right. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah man there was some I mean, I don't know. I know uh, James will remember, but there was like, remember free agents, James? Yeah, but I forget what that was. Um, so that was like in the era of like, like uh, the first group blogs, you know what I mean? And 
You remember Bureau Crash, right? I'm explaining all this while rolling. Yeah. That's so <laughs> beautiful, um, by the way. Yeah, no problem. Um, so Free Agents was a project after, remember Bureau Crash? Yeah. And they were bought out by like the Republican think tank. Um, shit, what was it called? It doesn't matter. It was a stupid Republican think tank, right? And so they like bought them out and kind of went south and a bunch of people jumped ship. And, you know, our beer crash, like, encouraged people. That's where Pete and Jason both previously worked. Encouraged people to, like, make their own videos, think their own ways, send in their own content, group blog type, group create, group content type things. And uh, they took that to kind of free agents. Like, it didn't, it didn't take, like, you know, some of the other projects that we've just discussed, but it was there. So just for mentioning on some of the other things we were involved in. All, all part of the history. Out. All right. All right. Now, now, Adima, one of the big things that I'm remembering about, uh, like cop lock is didn't you, at some point, didn't you guys like rack up like a whole ton of charges in like, was it Massachusetts? You know, when I tell people this story, cause like now it's getting to the point. Cause like right now we're talking about a time frame in my life from, uh, 2008 to 2015 solid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I believe that Pete and Jason, or excuse me, uh, Pete and myself are the only two activists, I think, to ever beat felony charges representing ourselves that I know of. Like, <laughs> Hell yeah. At least, at least direct, or uh, if not altogether, well, maybe not altogether because there's felonies for like farming and stuff, but I mean, in more of like a uh, direct action film, the police, you know, the Keene, New Hampshire, live free or die way. Was that and, the uh, uh, Massachusetts, uh, the Wake, yeah. Wakefield? Was that it? Greenfield. 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 Yep. Yeah. And so that's when Pete and I were arrested for filming a cop outside of a police or a, a county jail. We were trying to bail out Rich Paul. And uh, that didn't work out, I guess, in our favor in the short run. But it did in the long run. So like, uh, like re refresh my memory, like, uh, how many charges, like what were the charges against you oh, guys? Yeah, that's that what you're we talking about. Yeah. Like so, what are the charges that you beat and how did you beat them? Huh. Well, we always represented ourselves. So me personally, I've, I've counted out, I've been arrested in eight of the lower 48 States. I've been charged with over, uh, almost, a, I think it's exactly a dozen, if not a one or two over misdemeanors. Uh, I've been charged with four felonies for activism and, um, that's it. But the only thing they ever got me on was, uh, a chalking a sidewalk in Manchester, New Hampshire. I've beat all the other cases either They're flat out dropped before trial or court cases. Um, or I beat them all but one, I guess one was a hung jury on a, my first charge in Mississippi when me, Pete and Jason were arrested at the RV and I got, a, that was my very first arrest for filming the police. And, uh, that was a hung jury. They didn't, I took that to a jury, <laughs> a misdemeanor, uh, disorderly conduct charge and hung the jury. Um, and then let's see Las Vegas. They kicked me out before even charging me after 22 hours of being held in there. Uh, in Denver, Colorado, Pete and I were released before being charged, even though they stole all our cameras back uh, and and footage. Um, where else? Like New Hampshire for 
um, filming a judge. I did 16 days in jail on a contempt charge, but like he gave me 60 and I was released. So I guess I kind of consider that a win. Maybe that Wait, didn't tell, really count. tell that you got to tell that story. Now, didn't you that, that start? Story? Didn't that start with Pete wearing a hat? Yeah, man, that that started. Uh, yeah. So it was a I forgot who was in court that day. But, but this is a real know. dangerous, you know, what we're talking like, you know, civilization can't stand if Pete wears a hat. Right. Like right. that's well, where I kind of remember. Too, mind you, too, I, I want it was late January as well. And if anybody if anybody isn't aware, I'll let you know right now that New Hampshire is a very cold place in the middle of January. You know, hats, like, are, hats are just, you know, common sense. Right. And so now, mind you, we all know courts have their stupid rules and things, but this court wasn't even in session. And mind you, we were there like 15, 20 minutes early. So it wasn't even about to begin because court never begins on time anyways. And so this bailiff, not even a cop, not the judge, not anybody, uh, asked Pete to take off his hat. And Pete's like, no, it's negative 20. It was literally negative 22 degrees out that day. And Pete was like, no, I'm not doing it. And then the judge is like, or excuse me, the bailiff, he was like, yes, you are. And then he gets his cop buddies and they literally like throw him on the ground, put his knees in his back and like drag him off to a, a back room. You know, so of course we all film it and stuff like that. And they hold a hearing for Pete. And uh, that was a day later. And because he was uh, refusing to give his name during intake. And so that was another thing we always did. So like two of the things Pete and I did a lot that we got from Julian Heikland, Highland. Heikland. Uh, yeah. Right. Man, great guy. Yeah. Um, man, that guy was awesome. Um, so anywho, um, about going limp whenever you were wrongfully arrested and it's like you weren't assisting or resisting and da, 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 da. they'd always hit you with a resisting charge. And I later over the years learned that it wasn't worth it because you can't beat that charge. But anyways, he had done that. But the second thing we'd always do besides that is like, we wouldn't voluntarily go through intake. And so like, whenever I would go into intake, like in this example I'm about to give or a story that I'm telling is like when they brought me in because essentially what happened, Pete wasn't going through with intake. Then the judge was holding a video conference with him saying, Hey, basically if you just tell us your name and book you, what you did isn't a jailable offense and we'll let you out, but you're only being held right now because you won't give us your name. And Pete's like, no, I'm only being held right now because you guys kidnapped me, attacked me and locked me in a cage. Like all you have to do is open the door, you know, and we would try to always present that, you know, logic voice of reason in a place where it where it doesn't want to be but um so when that exchange was going on i was in the courtroom and i got really upset because pete and i are really close and i was like i basically told you i was like fuck you i'm like you're a piece of shit your whole courtroom's a piece of shit this is a kangaroo court i mean that's almost like a quote verbatim but uh and i went off and of course i was going to walk out the door i was just going to tell him off and leave right like drop the mic and roll and that wasn't happening he's like hey let's grab him and then well, wasn't it, I, it was like in a stairwell or something. And he accused you of like going after him or something. There was some, it was on video, but he still made some outrageous claim well, against well, you. This is the same judge. And so this is our first interaction together where he, so this is, this is why this story is so interesting and it builds to that. So this is judge Edward Burke in New Hampshire. He's also a municipal city judge. You know what I'm saying? With too much time on his hands and feels he's way too important essentially. And uh, so what I tell he really him really hates hats. He, yeah. He can't stand he hats, hats at all. So he grabs me and uh, locks me in the back room. And then when I come out, I remember it was, it was the most surrealist moment in all, probably all of my activism. Where the, so he's like, do you have anything to say to yourself? And mind you, this is a contempt of court charge. So this isn't like your standard, you know, uh, call witnesses, have a jury trial. There's evidence, procedure. This is basically what he says goes. 
Yeah, right? it's more like a like a like a tribunal or a, just a sure, like or summary like, execution. Right. Is it really? Right. It's like if there was a king and they just brought you in front of him, and his kingdom is just that courtroom, like that one exactly. small little room. So he says right off the rip, "Do you have anything to say?" You know, and I'm like, "Hey, you know, I already know I'm in like you know what I'm saying. I know I'm in trouble to whatever extent, so I'm trying to minimize damage, right?" I'm like, "Hey, Ram, I'm really sorry if I offended you. My emotions got out of my way. I didn't mean to like." Uh, swear to you and, and he was like oh well well mr mueller you didn't he's like you this is what you did to the court and the court finds you guilty and the court was offended by your actions and i was like i was like man i don't know i, I remember thinking to, i remember thinking i was like i don't know what you're talking about this court i'm like i called you a motherfucker you know what i'm saying and he's like i'm gonna give you 60 days contempt take him away i was like god damn 60 days so when i went into that when i went into the, the jail that day uh they're like, hey, what's your name? And I'm like, no, 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 wrong question. You should be asking me why I'm here. Because if the system's about checks and balances and all this stuff, then this would be part of it. Because if I told you I was here for telling a man to fuck off, and that man just so happened to wear a dress, and then the only place I, the only time he could ever do something like this to me is in the place where I told him to fuck off, you know, you might not think I should be here. Is that what we build jails for, for people who told judges to fuck off to be held? You know, like, that's fucked up. You know, and uh, they, of course, weren't having it. So they wouldn't put me through the booking process. So now Pete and I are neighbors in the booking process, not giving our names. <laughs> Pete eventually gets let out because they realize that they're holding him. And this is what happened to us a lot of times. So like other than the times I've been locked up, it has been for like writing children's truck on a sidewalk and they'll start to hold me, but I'll refuse to leave. So they'll arrest me, but I'm not going to go through their system. I refuse to leave. And they realize the charge they're holding me on isn't really jailable. And so any of the time they have to really be accountable for it. And it's not like the usual go around when you get locked up and they're like, Oh, time served. You can go home now. You know, we just wasted a year of your life. So you'll plead out to something that you're not guilty to. So anywho, um, to bring it back to James's story, I go on like a seven day hunger strike. And that guy finally lets me out of jail in 16 days. Cause I was causing problems for him with all my friends and phone calls and everything like that. Fast forward to summer, like, June, maybe. I don't know. It was, I think it was right before Pork Fest. So maybe it was even like May. My other friend, Bo Davis, is in the same courtroom. And we already thought the judge learned the lesson that you, like we had gotten, a, like people had wore court hats in the past or whatever. But all of a sudden, he just flips out that day, locks up my friend, Bo Davis, for wearing a hat. This is several months later, three, four months later. So I learned my lesson that I can't tell this judge to fuck off in the middle of the courtroom. You know, because in that, like, if I saw him at the gas station and told him the exact same things I said in the courtroom, he could do nothing but call the police and maybe make a report and hope they prosecute me, right? But in a in a courtroom, he can do this thing called contempt of court, and then give himself an open ended uh, range of any time that he wants to sentence you for any amount of, for you know, for whatever. You say a hundred years, you know, and your recourses to get out of them are, are much different. So, anyways. I wait for him to come to work the next day in the parking lot. And, and the courtroom is on the second floor of the public building. And the first floor is open to filming. So when he walks in, I just ask him, I'm cool as, dude, I'm cool as a cucumber. No joke. I, he walks in. I'm like, hey, Judge Burke, I just want to ask you a couple questions. He doesn't say anything. I'm like, do you, do you think it's okay to lock people up for wearing a hat? He doesn't say anything. Like, do you think they built jails for people who wear hats? And he doesn't say anything. I'm like, do you think it's the best use of your time? By this time, we're up the stairs to the second floor. Now we're in his world, right? He opens the door, and there's his bailiffs. And he he's, he looks at them, and he goes, this man is threatening me. Arrest him. 
Wow. You know what I'm saying? Completely fabricated it. it. Just made it up completely off the top of his head. Right. Right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. so wasn't all that on video it. too? Yeah, yeah, I got, I mean, I'll yeah. drop the link to you somehow. Yeah, I, I saw it when it happened. Yeah, I was just so like, I'm all, just like uh, recalling. How was this, how was this oh. on video? Yeah, yeah, it oh, was yeah. on video. How, how was it on video? Who recorded it? I recorded it. Oh, you, oh, you had a camera on you? Always. Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't stop him. It didn't stop him. I mean, it didn't it, stop it, him from completely fabricating lies. So mind wow. you, the, the bailiffs know me because we're there all the time. They know, they, don't, they know me as a nonviolent person. You know what I'm saying? I've never threatened anybody in my life in their presence. I've never even like slipped out like maybe some of the people I did or did not associate with, right? And uh, so um, they're like hesitating to arrest me. And he's like, that's a felony. And I was like, what? Oh, no, he said that's a criminal offense. Excuse me. Either way. He's like, that's a criminal offense. Arrest him. And I was like, seriously, man? And they're like, come on. And I was like, look at the video. And they're like, no, 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 come on. So anyways, a keen cop, that's the city we are in, he comes to arrest me for this felony. And I was like, dude, I was begging him. Normally, I, I would never let him look at my footage. I would never let them. But when he's charging me the felony and a person who's been through that already, I was like, dude, look at the video. Like, I'll sign anything. I'll let you look at it. He's like, I'm not looking at the video. I'm like, today you don't want to look at the video? Because you know he knows I mean? what's like, on the video. Well, they got to know, right? And so I was like, come on, man. You got you to gotta look at the video. So I sit in jail for five days. And uh, they pulled me out. And finally, like, I, I got, they put a $5,000 uh, um, bond on me while I was in their cash bond. That's the only way I could get out. So like an anonymous supporter at the time bonded me out. And... That way I could get the footage because the only person the DA would give the camera to was me because it was my property, but I was locked up. So I got out, got the camera, got the footage out, and that got me released. So like, and me and him have other history besides that in between there. So that's the same judge that me and him started off the first time I told him to F off. Then he locked up Pete. Then he locked up my friend Bo. Both those guys I live in the RV with. Bo did Liberty on tour with us. And help us go through that Greenfield trial we were talking about. He's a great guy, good video editor, decent dude. Insane. What an insane ordeal. Now, okay, so so we're all here tonight to like celebrate 420, have a good time, and reminisce. But um, you know, now uh, we've got another guest on tonight, uh, GI Mary Jane, and she's she's had some problems with the law too, and specifically over uh, cannabis. Correct? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, and 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 ironically, never before I got on paper as a legal patient. Never until I decided to follow the rules once they were available to me. Then all of a sudden, everything in my world got turned upside down. <laughs> so, uh, hooray for legalization! I, I kind of. Yeah, why don't you irritated at that word? <laughs> yeah, like tell us your story. Your story is like especially fucked up in my mind because there's a a, a child involved too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was told um, by a Virginia State Child Custody Court. Um, I'm not going to name the county. I'll be nice. Um, that uh, being a Maryland cannabis patient, living in Maryland, um, my cannabis use made me unfit to be around my child and I've been on supervised visitation with him ever since. And I unfortunately don't get to see him a whole lot because there's some tension. Um, but yeah, it's, it's even more long and drawn out than that. Um, so when I moved from Virginia where I raised my son back to Maryland with my parents after I separated with his father, which I mean, I think that's normal moving back to your parents' house after a, after a divorce. Um, 
I knew, I knew dad was going to come after me for the cannabis use. Like I, I just knew it. That's, that's the, the kind of person I was dealing with, unfortunately. Uh, so I hurried up and I got my medical certificate in Maryland. It just opened up the medical market in 2016. The, um, the dispensaries weren't open yet, but you could get a recommendation from the doctor. Therefore, the police were letting you go if they wanted to, uh, depending on the cop on the side of the road that day. Um, but I went and did what I thought I was supposed to do as a lawful citizen and got my permission slip, right? Um, I was told by the judge that if I didn't, he said he didn't care, uh, whatever the laws in Maryland were made no difference to him. And then I was forced to go see a doctor of their choosing, uh, sign a release form and told that I had to do whatever they recommended I do. So for the first time in my life, I was faced with pharmaceuticals, seven of them, um, and things weren't great. I ended up getting multiple DUIs in a short period of time. Do not have a drinking problem. Never have had a substance problem. The pills are really what made the difference there. Um, survived them all by the grace of the universe, I suppose. Um, and actually the second one happened because I put the pharmaceuticals down. I'm like, I can't believe this happened. Um, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, side note, both of these times, my son was with his father. There was no child endangerment involved, but the judge still tried to claim that. Um, I was using bad coping mechanisms, like anybody does. You know, I was going through a, a period of PTSD after getting out of a violent relationship, um, and the thing that helped me was taken away from me. I've been self-medicating my whole life, and I didn't even realize how much it helped. Um, so when I put these pills down, then the withdrawal symptoms happened, which were even more terrifying than the side effects from all the pills they put me on. It was Adderall and Klonopin were the first two they gave me. So basically they had me speedballing. I, I don't know in wow. what world that's okay, but the doctors assured me it would be fine. Uh, again, it wasn't. And then the, the withdrawal was even more terrifying. Um, it ended up giving me gastrointestinal issues. Um, I live with Crohn's, which I am convinced is because of the pharmaceuticals. I think they just, you know, ate away my insides. This happens to people's livers, kidneys, what, what have you. Um, and by the time I decided to put them down, start using nature's medicine again, uh, my child was taken away from me and I was put on a supervised visitation with somebody who doesn't want me to see him. So unfortunately we can't agree on a supervisor um, I haven't seen him since Valentine's Day last year. Thanks to technology, I get to talk to him all the time, but that's when his father lets him use his phone. So, um, yeah, it's it's affected me. And again, in Maryland, I noticed, um, I, I'm from Baltimore, for anybody who doesn't know that watching, yay, go O's. <laughs> Baseball's close, man. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, I people are going through worse than I am. I mean, there are parents who aren't, going through a divorce, um, who CPS came and take their child away. Uh, the school did it because they're legal patients. There, there are so many people who once they did the right thing, they were penalized and their entire lives are you know, turned upside down. So that's when I decided to get involved with Normal in Maryland. I've lobbied on the state level. I've lobbied on the national level. Um, in 2018, on July 4th at 420, they raised a flag in my honor at the Capitol. Um, for my activism efforts. So I guess I guess when you take a child away from a mother, the, the natural activist comes out of her, right? Um, but, but yeah, that, that's it. And, and it seems to me that there's, since legalization has opened up, 
Um, we're seeing more taxes, higher costs. People are still getting arrested at a rate of one every 50 seconds, I think was the last statistic. And um, I, I just don't see how this is legalization to anybody's standards. Um, I'm not sure. I think, that's a, I think you make a very good point. We can fix it, but. How many, yeah, like how many people are uh, in, are still in jail? How many people are, are still in jail right now? Like despite, even when it, they're still arresting people, they're gonna give up their yeah. jail business just because they got a new tax business. Exactly, exactly. And and even with um, with cultivators and dispensaries in some states, the states will still raid them. They'll still spend all those taxpayer dollars to send in the big cars yeah. and the men with the big guns and, and, and spend all these resources if they're growing too many plants, say. Well, if you're a tomato farmer and you're only allowed to grow X amount of tomatoes per the environmental laws in your county, and you're growing more tomatoes than that, you're gonna get a notice to appear in court. And, and the discrimination in the business industry is, is just horrendous to me as well. And uh, a lot of people have told me, especially in the last year or two, like, what are, what are you gonna do now? There's cannabis is legal. There's nothing more to advocate for. Like, there's more oh. to advocate for than, than ever before. I, I'll go out on a limb here and say things might've been better pre-legalization, you know? Uh, it, it, it's, it's unfortunate, but. I'm glad to see the spirit of the cannabis community still being alive. I mean, it's the most compassionate community I've ever come across in my life. People are there for each other. Everything is cyclical. Uh, it, you know, it, it's a live and let live giving community. But, but a community would you feel, I think. Would you feel <laughs> there's an element, though, within the cannabis legalization community that's sort of like a self-imposed slavery where they're like, regulate me, regulate me. And they don't really understand the what the nature of the state is and how they, and they, they think they're going to partner with the state. And then they're surprised, right? Like, oh, I thought I could make a deal with the devil. I thought I could control that. And then you can never control it. And then they're like, but I can't get my permit or the weed's too expensive or the state doesn't have enough stores open or it's a this. And, it's, and I'm like, you know, tried to tell you, you know, like it's, 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 it's kind of all or nothing. It really is. I, there's no reason that cannabis shouldn't be available at a farmer's market right next to any other herb, lavender. You've got uh, different roots and, and, and natural herbs and minerals that, that you can buy at GNC. Tomatoes. Cannabis shouldn't be any different. Tomatoes. I, I, if a kid with a peanut allergy grabs a peanut out of the open peanut bins at the Walmart, it could literally die. But we don't have strict regulations on peanuts like this. So it makes no sense to me. And even for the people who you're giving them ideas, even for the people who, who still are anti cannabis, I can't understand why they don't see the forest from the tree of the amount of their taxpayer dollars that are being spent on caging nonviolent, innocent human beings, a lot of which come into contact with even harder drugs once they get in prison. Uh, you know, and, and things that they otherwise wouldn't be presented with. They sent me to, um, to to AA meetings. And I was finally, I, for the first time in my life, I saw somebody overdose on heroin. Uh, I saw behavior that I otherwise would have never seen before. Um, and, and, and they put me in that. Luckily, I've got a great support system. Uh, but I understand how people, once they make one little mistake, they get, you know, demonized. They get told they have a problem by the person who's probably popping pills and drinking. And we, we all have our vices. Vices are, are human. It's just it. And if it's not a substance, you overshop or you're a hoarder. We all do something that's not necessarily great. It's all about that balance. Um, but my body, my choice, I get to decide what that balance is. Um, and I'm, I'm, it's, 
1937, all this started and, and we're still going with zero cannabis deaths. I, I, it's, it's beyond me. <laughs> yeah. So like, so, so you went, you went through some like shit with like cannabis in, in Ohio, right? Yeah, dude. I got popped with 20 pounds in the trunk. 20 pounds. Yeah. And wow. 160 vape pen cartridges. Wow. Dude. <laughs> when, uh, hey, when they charged me, you got they, abducted. Like, they charged me with, I know I was kidnapped. Listen, right. I t- listen, they, first of all, when they pulled me over, they were like, Oh, this guy's got to film the police shirt on. Let's be real funny. And then yeah. it wasn't so funny by the time it was over. I promise you, even though I went to jail, I promise you, because on that, that whole 15 minute ride to the County, I kept asking them cops, who are you protecting? Who called you today? And then this smart ass fucker cop was like, it's the state of Ohio. I'm like, cool. Are they showing up to my trial? Are they writing a statement? Where do they live? You know what I'm saying? A demo only 20 pounds. I got charged with 40 pounds and I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't, that's just me, you know? So, uh, and listen, even even with me, I was the same way. I, I forgot. I apologize because I'm smoking weed, so let's just call it that. But I forgot. Dude, I forgot don't apologize name. for that, Edimo. Ever. I apologize Ever. for forgetting her name, so I apologize for that. But um, I can totally relate when when you're talking about like going through the system, and then you're like, like when I got sentenced, like they wanted me to do five years, and I was like, or excuse me, first they charged me with six years. Then after I was like talking with them and everything like that, they're like, hey, listen, just do five years of paper. And I was like, no, I don't want to do your probation and shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was like, I'll just go to trial. So like do a year in prison. So I took it. You know what I'm saying? But like the hardest thing for me in that whole bit was going to the halfway house. That's the first time I've seen like crackheads and watching people overdose. And I was like, dude, making it like 30 days through a it's halfway a house is like. Dude, was that dude. was that worse than where you had been previously? Or is it like halfway uh, better? Listen, if I ever have to go to prison, knock on wood, I hope not. I'm not, I'm not taking that. Everyone's like, oh, good. Your last six months, you get to go to halfway house. Fuck that. You can leave me locked in the pen. I'm cool. Don't open the gate until uh, you let me out. It was worse. You know well, do, you know, do you know our friend uh, Arthur Farnsworth in Pennsylvania? He, he did s- two um, uh, stays in federal prison for some tax disagreements. There was a disagreement right. on the amount that he thought he should be paying, right. uh, which was none. And um, anyway... Yeah. They offered him some kind of like halfway house. He's like, no, nope, not doing it, not doing it. And they punished him. They punished him by like putting him in solitary. They're like, oh, you don't want to do you don't want to do halfway house. You're not going with our plan. We've got a whole plan here, you know, like a conveyor belt for you. Oh, you're you're not what? You know, we'll punish you. Extortion. It's I got another story for you. I, I visited my son at school. Um, actually, this is the last time I saw him on Valentine's Day. And I came in with four dozen cupcakes for his lunchroom, which, by the way, I had to call and make special arrangements for the peanut kid back to peanut regulations. <laughs> but yeah. I-, I saw the cop in the office when I walked in. This is in Virginia. Um, and I knew it was coming, but I enjoyed lunch with my his, his father called and made me out to be Pablo Escobar. And um, <laughs> they illegally pulled me over. Um, I had an expired license in Virginia, but I didn't know cause I wasn't living in Virginia anymore and they didn't mail me anything. So, um, but yeah, I was, I was charged and walking right out of my son's school doing nothing, nothing. So I get, I get to court for this. There were two, like two grams and two bags that were legally from Maryland, had my ID, everything was stamped and legit. Um, 
I actually told this officer the story. He was quite sympathetic. By the time we got to uh, to the little lockup area there, and, and I was out in a couple of hours, but I get to court, and the prosecutor is just back and forth with me, and 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 he's like, oh, you know, I'm so surprised. We're, I can't believe it. They're gonna they're gonna drop the uh, the possession charge, and they're just gonna charge you with driving on a suspended. I said, no, man. I'm sitting on you know two years in Maryland because I right. wrecked my car twice on pharmaceuticals, but you know it's still my fault somehow, even though. I was forced into taking them. Um, I said, no, that's, that's not enough. I'm not going to go back and do two years in Maryland over this. He walks out and um, I had had some domestic issues in the past. And he goes, uh, this is the same uh, attorney, the same public attorney that defended my ex-husband uh, through a restraining order case that he violated. I had video evidence of and got him off somehow. So he leaves the room and he comes back and he makes this heavy sigh and he goes, you know, I got your husband off. I guess I owe you. We're going to drop the charges. And, and my jaw just dropped through the floor. I, I, this is how easy you people teeter on, you know, destroying somebody's life or allowing them to become a productive, you know, member of society. And that's what you supposedly want out of all this. There's no such thing as rehabilitation. They just... They keep beating you down until they can look at you and say, oh, you're a, you're a heroin addict now and you overdosed, so you're a bad person. But they don't talk about how it all starts with, you know, an incident similar to mine or somebody gets in a car accident. They get addicted to pharmaceuticals, they get the pharmaceuticals cut off. They That's, end up on the streets. It, it, it's, it's insane. Right. For the most part, they don't even care about the reason once they get you in that system. And that's what I saw so clear at the halfway house. Like I was a person like I was just in prison. I was just going to get out of there and do get my time done right so i wasn't fucking around or anything but they drug test me all the time and then i started to figure out because i'm like they drug test me all the time except for the last week of the month and that's when their oip classes their drug treatment classes would end and then they those people would graduate and then they start drug testing everybody else to fill up that class so that they could write the receipt to the state and get the money yeah. to have a person in the fucking state funded drug rehab program so they don't care about the reason or how to really get and they they didn't. They wouldn't make it easy for us to get jobs. They would take our cell phones away from us. They'd be like, hey, one of the biggest things you have to do here, the biggest thing we do, we get, you got to get a job. You're going to get a job here. And then you're like, by the way, lock your cell phone up. And they weren't like, lock your cell phone up because we don't want you to have them to get a job, which is like logical. But the reason why the cell phones were locked up is because so many people were overdosing and being high on the floors and people were recording the bad facilities on their phones that they made you lock them up so you couldn't do that anymore. It's like, so how do I get, get a, out? Right. How do I get a job in today's age without a phone? You know, it's like you got me messed up. And it's not about help. None of it. You know, I did a it's year incredible. in prison, and they like when you're in prison, they like create a a plan for you, and they're like, this is how we're going to rehabilitate you, right? So like, you spend your first uh, two weeks just getting like, I guess like an evaluation, like you would for the military. You know, it's like uh, physical, mental, dental, psychology, fucking all kinds of shit. And uh, that was pretty funny because when the psychologist chick was like talking to me, she's like, do you have any history of mental illness? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because whenever you ask me questions, I like to ask you questions, especially if you're a government person. And so I, she's like, do you have any mental capabilities? I'm like, hold on a second. I'm like, let's just, I'm like, answer me one question. She's like, okay. I said, if you are on 23-hour lockdown for any extended period of time, if you are in a room for 23 hours a day with one other person, does that create mental distress 
disabilities, whatever, right? And she's like, most certainly, especially the longer it goes. I'm like, well, that's where we're sitting. And so like, why are you even asking me if I have any mental problems with you know if where I'm at is going to cause me some motherfucking mental problems? You know what I'm saying? Like, why are you even pretending? Why are you, why are you, why are you joking? You know, they just go through these rituals. Like it, like it matters. Like Like they think it counts. I'm like, you just have this job. You make $65,000 a year. You get to go tell your friends at the little cocktail party that I evaluate inmates at the prison to make sure they're mentally stable and they're not. This is what I went to college for. (laughs) Seriously, dude, no joke. Like, all my evaluations, like except for like the physical ones, a lot was really funny with that because like, like they, you know, like all of a sudden you just walk in back to a room and the doctor is just like drop your pants and he grabs your balls and then like, you know what I'm saying? Like listens to your vitals and then sends you off. And so like everything's like uniform. So I'm standing in line, like waiting for the next surprise, whatever. <laughs> right, right, right. Like when's the tracker go in? Come on, you know? And uh, they're like, they're like, have you done everything yet? She looks at me, this this like little like Indian lady who's like just angry at everything. She's like, have you done everything yet? And I was like, I don't know, man. I'm like, someone looked in my ears, someone looked in my eyes, and a guy I never met who didn't even buy me dinner grabbed my nuts. Is that everything? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I think I feel like I'm good. You know, <laughs> like I couldn't imagine what more I could take. I didn't say that last part, but I said that everything about like someone looking in my ears, my eyes, and grabbing my balls. And she's like, yep, everything's done. You can go, funny man. And I was like, funny man? Like, I don't know where I'm at. This is like straight out of like a Pink Floyd video. Just imagine what it's like to be her, though. Such a humorless, lifeless bitch in in this hall of horrors, abusing people all day, every day, systematically like a bureaucrat, automaton. What a disgusting waste of human flesh. They're the worst. CRC is what they call reception in Ohio. And it's where you spend, that's where they classify you and then ship you off. So like you're all mixed together. So you're with like the, the baby rapers, the real murderers in the middle, all the drug dealers and whatever. But there, dude, the CEOs talk to you like shit. And like one time the CEO was really mad at us because we were locked down for 23 hours a day on this yard. It's a level three. And um, you were locked down for 23 hours a day and you just you get out one day, hour a day and just to go to eat and go back. That's it. Back. So they get mad at you when all 60, 70, 80 of you, depending how big your unit is, if you would talk on the way to child, you're like, dude, I've been locked in a room for 23 hours with this one dude. I see somebody else. I'm talking to him. You know what I'm saying? So the cop is our whole, then when you get back, you all got to stand by your door. Right. And he won't buzz it open because he's got something to say. And so the cop's like, he's like, I treat you all with respect. You know what I'm saying? Even though you're in prison and da, 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 da. Right. And he's going off, you know, and I'm, and I go to my bunkie. I elbow him. I'm like, that's what's wrong with this fucking piece of shit. He said, he just said it. He treats us all with respect. You know what I'm saying? I didn't even get to finish what I was seeing in my bunkie and the cop heard me or saw me talking. Right. And he's like, Mueller, you got something to say? I'm like, dude, I ain't got nothing to say. You know what I'm saying? I know where I'm at. I was like, my bad. You know, he's like, no, say it, say it. He pushed me. And I knew it, dude. I knew I shouldn't have said nothing. But I was like, listen, dude, like, I'm like, you just said you treat us all with respect, but like there's murderers and baby rapers here and I'm here for weed. And like, if you treat me like them, I'm like, you got a problem. You know what I'm saying? And like, sorry, if you think the baby raper shouldn't talk to anybody, I might agree with you, but I'm here for having a plant in my trunk. And I'm going to talk to my neighbor when I get out the door for five minutes while I'm out. You know what I'm saying? You, you shouldn't be tripping. Well, yeah. that got three days, three days in the hole. We have a prison Did population you- that's like 80% nonviolent offenders. It's, it's, and, oh, and you're me, right. I know I've met them. 
Yeah, you're putting them in there. And and funny thing, funny thing about baby rapers, when I did my 60 days for the DUIs, which I mean, honestly, 60 days for for what happened, I'm, I really feel blessed. Okay, but uh, there was a there was a, a, a 60 days for look DUIs, I could have hurt somebody. Okay, like I can't, I can't argue that now they were the results of the pills. They were results of my rights being violated. Um, but if they were a result of my choice, and they, they essentially were, I mean, I made the decision to not put my foot down and, you know, say, no, you're violating my rights to that judge. Um, I, I can't take away my own self-blame in this, but I can't put all the blame on me. I mean, I gotta, I gotta throw that out there. I should have told that judge to go shove it up his ass, never taken those pills. I would have had the same result. My child would have been taken away from me, but I wouldn't have almost possibly killed two people by wrecking my car high on pills, right? So I've got to take some sort of responsibility and I encourage everybody to, everything's about choice. Um, but no, I was in there. There was a mother and father that admitted to videotaping and raping their kid over like the course of three years. Kid was like five. Hmm. They were out before any of the heroin addicts or myself or the people there on violation of probation. They were out before anybody in any of those right. blocks that I associated hmm. with. Gone. James, you right. remember in New Hampshire when I was charged with wiretapping for filming that kid in the cafeteria. Oh my God. I was facing 21 years in prison. And if I would have seriously molested a child, I would have gone to jail for less time. Well, let's, let's just remind people what that was. Yeah. There was a, a a resource officer, right? Smashes a kid's head into, into the cafeteria table on video. Right. right? Another kid records it. So basically the kid, took his sister's purse and they had a, the principal said, you're come with me. You're going to be suspended for the rest of the day. The kid said, his name was Frank. Frank said, why the fuck am I suspended? And as soon as the kid said, fuck the cop grabbed him by the hair, whapped his head into the table twice, picked him up and threw him on the ground and put his knee in his back and arrested him for disorderly conduct. <laughs> wow. that, and that was okay. So, legit. right. So now, so, so, you decided, well, you know, I'm going to, I think I maybe should express myself to the uh, school admit to this, to the well, superintendent, right? Those kids, those kids ran around town to WMUR and tried to give them the video. And they were like, we don't want anything to do with this. But remember when I said I, the only case I ever lost was that chalking case in Manchester, New Hampshire. And I lost because they played me dirty. They, they mailed my jury trial date to an address that I proved literally does not exist. Did not exist. It was not even a real address. It matters not. <laughs> and it was in my case file as returned, like the, the actual envelope. And I brought that to the district judge. And he's like, the only thing I'm here to decide today is if you're going to jail today or not. And you are. And I was like, what a dick. So anywho, they did that intentionally. Of course. Because, because of this, because of what I'm telling you. So before that, that's, I, I lost that trial to a judge. So I asked for a jury trial and that's where they mailed it wrong to me. But when I was, when I was about to do the trial with the judge, a bench trial, they're called for the chalking case, I was in Manchester, New Hampshire, where that happened. So the kids a couple of days ago had gotten a CD from Pete and I uh, about cop blocking. So when the news told them, no, they came, they were driving around town looking for our RV and then they found me. And so I got the video before anybody knew the video exists. You know, except for whoever they asked at the news. You were basically the WikiLeaks in this story. In, in this story, I guess. I really, <laughs> so, right. So what I did, I was like, oh, well, this isn't enough. I've been cop walking at this time for like three or four years, maybe just two or three years. I don't know. It's got to be 2012 or 13. But so I say, hey, let me call the cops and see what they say first. 
You know what I'm saying? So I call the, the police department, Manchester Police Department, and I'm talking to the captain who knows me. And so I tell him, I say, hey, it's a demo at coplock.org. I just want to know what happened at the, the high school the other day. He's like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. The kid was disorderly and the officer arrested him. And, uh, you know, I've seen the report. It's been across my desk. Da, 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 da. The kid's fault, the kid's fault. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, and I so he doesn't know him. you had the video at this point. Exactly. So I let him bury himself. And then I say, well, that's really interesting because that doesn't look like anything I see in the video. And as soon as I see the video, he's like, I don't know what you're uh, talking uh, about. I got to uh, go. I got to go. Bye. Uh, uh, and, they hang up. and they hang up. So then at that point, no one at the police department will talk to me anymore. So I'm like, well, before I write, release the video, let me call the high school and see what they say. So I get the, first you get the principal's assistant, of course. And I ask, I ask her real quick. She's like, the principal's busy. I'm like, well, I heard you were there. Cause she was there too. I was like, can I ask you some questions? And she's like, oh yeah, yeah. Nothing happened. The kid was disorderly. He's been suspended, you know, but oh, wait, she's ready now. I'll put you through, right? So she patches me through. And then I asked the principal the same thing. And she's like, oh, yeah, he was disorderly. He's disorderly. And uh, I said, well, that don't look like the video. Boom, she hangs up. So then when I put the video out with them, the video showing the kid just getting assaulted, then them all lying about it, it goes viral. It went viral. And people were, like, really pissed off. And they're like, what's going on in the school? Dude, that was so good. Yeah. And then and – then, the police come out and they're like, we're holding, we're doing an internal investigation, right? And they let everything die down for six months. And so they event, they investigated the assistant principal, the principal, and the cop in the school. Then they investigated Frank, who was beat up by the cop. Yeah, they investigated him for something. And then they investigated Michael, who's the guy who took the video. And then they investigated me for publishing the video, right? And after the whole investigation was done, the assistant principal didn't do anything wrong when she was on video asking Michael to delete the video. They, they, they bullied him into deleting the video. He tricked them into just deleting thumbnails of the video. Good kid. Right. Great kid. Little rabble rouser, whatever. And so um, uh, the, neither one of the principals got anything. To, obviously, the cop was cleared. They're always cleared. Uh, Frank was eventually expelled from school because that day when they searched his backpack, he had a, a pocket knife. So boom, you're out. Mike later got in a fight on school, like like just off of school grounds. And so they threw the book at him at that and ran him out of that school too. And then they charged me with three felonies for each phone reconversation I had with those people because they said it was wiretapping, even though I said who I was. And they all knew my website, which they knew was like about filming the police, especially the police officer. You know, you're talking like, oh, to a you're talking to a government employee about the execution of their duties, right? On publicly funded phones during their publicly funded times, not like at their How house. How dare you? I know. <laughs> and they charged me with 21 years in prison for it. It's incredible. And then what? And then what happened with the charges? So I was found guilty, and even the judge. So I don't know if you remember this at all, Jim, but like the judge was begging me through the trial to like seek counsel, get counsel. But I was always, I would always represent myself, which an interesting side note right now is that in my last weed case, I wouldn't see it as activism. And so I, I, um, it's agorism. Well, it was, but I was saying is like, I, which, which I, is my, I got, I got an attorney, I got an attorney in my, in my weed case for the 20 pounds, pretty much to just get me out of uh, county for a little bit for whatever reasons. And then later I made him side counsel and represented myself. And it was really funny because when we, me and him were talking a lot, he wasn't an activism. He knew nothing about me. But at one point I said to that attorney, I said, how many trials have you ever had? 
to this attorney that was supposed to represent me on my felony drug case. Right. And he's like, you know, I've only had to go to trial two or three times. And I said, I've done six trials myself. So right now I have more trial experience than you do. So why would I let you take me to trial? You know what I'm saying? Well, he, he did, like, he did at least train in their language and, and rituals hey, and, hey. and, Every time that guy would come see me, it was more talking because he's like, I watched some more of your videos. I watched some more of your videos, but I just paid that guy like five G's just to get me out. So whatever. Um, I was back to what story? Oh, the Manchester one. So, uh, yeah, so I was found guilty. I was found guilty of the wiretapping. I'm found guilty of the wiretapping, but the whole time the judge was begging me to like seek counsel because essentially what they did is they charged me with the felony and they, they, that was being a third party, but I was one or two parties. So they should have only charged me with a misdemeanor, but the police knew it. And they were just doing it to be vindictive. They locked me up on a chalking charge on, on intentionally because my, my sentence for the chalking case that I told you that they locked me up for ended on a Friday, the Friday on, on Monday is when my wiretapping case, uh, my trial started. Oh Jesus. Literally, so literally like that, prosecutor would come visit me when i was in jail and say hey take this plea deal they get better and better finally on like the friday before my trial started he said just pay us five hundred dollars five hundred dollars and he's like and you go home in a week we drop the charges we knock it down to a misdemeanor you pay 500 bucks and you can go home i told him fuck you i didn't do anything wrong i'm not going to sign any paperwork that i did anything wrong you know and i said fuck it and uh this is another really good story actually and so i was found guilty and the judge was like he was on my side, but I wasn't doing anything to help him say the magic words, right? But it, wait, it was so, a judge. It, it wasn't a jury. It was a jury. They found me guilty. But when the judge, so the, they find me guilty, right? The judge has been on my side the whole time. He's like, please consider filing motions, right? Because he can't give me legal advice. But he's basically telling me there's a motion I can file to make this all go away or not as bad as it is, right? And other people were telling me it too. So he's not the only one. Well, the judge could have just said, this is bullshit. Everybody go home at any moment. Oh, right, right. Okay. He, so, exactly. you know, that's what I would, well, I would say that to him in these pretrial things. I'd be like, if, are you, if you're trying to say something, like, if you're saying this shouldn't have to happen, I might agree with you, your honor. You know what I'm saying? Like just freaking end him, it. Remember, right, I always told him, I said, yeah, I always told him, I don't, I don't know your rules and regulations. I'm just here. If somebody said I harmed them, I want to make that right. But they they frequently that. remind us that they have full totalitarian power in their courtroom to do whatever the hell they want at any time. Right. right but right. suddenly my hands are tied. I just, uh, <laughs> I just have to be fair. And I was facing seven to 21 years in prison. So that day on Tuesday, when I was convicted, he said, Mr. Mueller, do you want to be sentenced next month? Do you want to give me time to prepare a sentencing hearing for you? Or what would you like to do? He was basically telling me, I'm going to let you go home for a month. Cause I was going to get out that Friday on my current charge. He was, I, this is unprecedented. Like he, he was doing me a solid, you know what I'm saying? But I told him, I said, listen, dude, I'm already in jail right now. I'm like, you can sentence me today, you know? And so, I, I just didn't care because I was so mad at the time. I wasn't even trying to do it to be tough. That was just out of sheer anger. I was just pissed. Plus, honestly, the worst thing about being locked up is getting into it. So I would want to get out, see your family, and then go back. You know what I'm saying? Especially if it's for a long time. Although I guess if he was going to sentence me to like 21 years, I should have ran. But I told him that. I said, I know you're not going to sentence me to 21 years. So I said, sentence me today. And he looked at me crazy. And he was like, he would. And so I'll tell the short version of the story. But 
they essentially made me miss my transport back to prison. He sentenced me to four years in prison, which was three years less than the minimum. So I didn't get that. But he suspended it all because he knew I was going to appeal and extended my jail time for 90 more days. So I had to do 90 more days in that fucking shithole in Manchester. And this is one of the most awesomest things that's ever happened to me in activism. When I got back to my unit that night, by then they all knew me. My nickname in that county jail, they would call me Freedom or the dude on the internet. You're like, there's that guy from the internet. Or they would just call me Freedom, you know? And so when I walk back into that unit, dude, there's probably like 40, 45 people in this jail. And as soon as I walk in and hit the wall, I'm the only one coming in now because they made me miss my transport and hang out at the county building four more hours longer. They did it on purpose. I was literally in the room. They walked them all into the early transport and left me sitting there. So I'd like miss dinner and have to sit and intake through, through lockdown or head count. You know what I'm saying? Just the little shit they do to fuck with you. And so when I got in there, dude, people started clapping. They're like, freedom. Holy shit. Freedom. And, and, and that, in that jail, a common, they all have like their common slang terms. And that one, they would always say like, you got no balls. You have no balls. And they're like, you told that judge no balls. Cause it's on the news and shit. And they're like, God damn. And like the, the cops, the cops are coming out. They're like, stop it, stop it. But dude, everybody, it was seriously every single person. And the cops were just like, hey, stop, stop. Then they just let it happen. For like five minutes, dude, people cheered me, dude. And then, seriously, I was well, almost, had they, I had they seen the school video and did they know all why you were there? Dude, by then, by then, yeah, because I kept getting, remember, they locked me up on a, on a chalking case. So all my pretrial for the wiretapping case I was in that county jail and I was on the news. It was a big deal. One day they forgot. So they're watching you in there, like on the news. Right. So by the time I got back, they saw me on the six o'clock news. I didn't get back till eight o'clock at night. They saw me on the news and the news cuts it. The news cuts it. The news cuts it into little snippets. Right. So they're like, they're like, they're like video blogger, Adam Mueller sentence. A uh, judge offers to delay sentencing a month. Mueller tells him to do it today. And, you know, like, and then they like they made it sound bad, more badass than it really was. But I did tell him to do it today. And they're like, dude, we can't believe it. We thought you were gone, dude. They, like some of my friends, and they're like, dude, people are going to try to steal your shit because they thought that they were just going to take me straight to prison. You know, they're like, you told that judge no balls, dude. I got mad props after that, dude. Like everybody was like, you're the shit. Like, I mean, everyone liked me already because they're like, you're that dude on the TV, but. We should do like a like a where are they now like episode like like look at each character starting with like the kid who got his head smashed right and then the cop who smashed him and then right. the the administrator oh my god about it like yeah. who got justice like who got punished who's still right. probably working at the same freaking jobs at that same school beating other kids' heads that just don't happen to have a, a Dude, video how camera. many scenarios of this can we pick. Do you remember the 420 protest in Nashua, one of the very earliest ones that was? Does anybody in this call? I don't well, know. Actually, actually, one thing I wanted to ask you about, Adimo, okay. was uh, uh, didn't you guys, didn't you and Pete get off because of like jury nullification? Because like one person said not guilty? So, yeah, in a nutshell, that was in the Greenfield, Massachusetts case. Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to hear about. I feel like that's what people yeah. need to hear because it's that's like a, a way where anybody can make a difference if you get on a jury. Right. And if you say not so, guilty to any victimless bullshit, right. nonviolent drug offense. Right. So essentially or, in, yeah. in Massachusetts, they have a six person jury. Okay. Only on certain charges or, or certain ways do you have to say the magic words to get a 12 person. All the standard BS is six. So what this guy told us afterwards was before their lunch break, 
he was the only one who had said no. And uh, he said that, uh, you know, they told him to reconsider and go to lunch and then come back. And when he came back from lunch, <coughs> he said, listen, he thought at the time that he's like, he's like, I wasn't, he's like, I thought you did record them. He's like, I felt pretty sure you, you were recording them. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Even he's like, he's like, I didn't know if it was right necessary to be a dick or what, but he's like, I definitely didn't know if you knew the law. Right. He didn't think that we knew that we'd face that much time just for filming them. And he didn't want to see us go to prison for that long for something we might not have been aware of. You know what I'm saying? So essentially it is during all weeks. He figured yeah. the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And he knew that he knew that information. Well, yeah. If because, you disagree with the law, not guilty. Right. Well, he knew that information because Pete and I would say, you know, like to the witnesses, to the cops, do you think that I should go to prison for five years for pointing a camera at you? Cause you're the victim. Right. And that's what Pete, that's always been my approach to court. Like people forget that courts weren't meant to like defend the state or generate revenue, which is clearly all, or most of 99.999% of what they do now. And so like, they're supposed to be mediators between two disagreeable parties. And so if I was always in a courtroom, well, who's the disagreeable party? In this case, what officer did I harm by pointing my camera at him? Can he show me what loss he has? How many days of work he missed? The property I damaged? Oh, he's on the stand saying I hurt his feelings? Fuck you, hurting your feelings isn't illegal. You know what I mean? Same with the wiretapping. I had the woman on the stand. I said, I said um, to her, I said, what? You know, how, are I, how did I victimize you? She said, you hurt my feelings. And I was like, that's not illegal, wow. lady. Like... <laughs> Wow. I'm sorry, but you can't put me in prison for it. Like, like your feelings aren't hurt for facing, you know, the loss of your physical right. freedom for making right. a phone call. Like, who, whose feelings are more important here, right? It's, uh, boy. I've added up. I think I've done 18 months in county jails, which now that I've been to prison, dude, is way worse. Prison is like, it's like a men's club. Yeah, here it's pretty posh. Leave. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking the one, one and two levels. I was on a level one, two. I know three, fours, and fives are different levels. So I'm not speaking on any. I know that. I'm talking if you're like going for nonviolent, victimless crimes. Like, there's very shitty parts about it. Not being able to see. Like, I'm just saying, I'll go to prison before I go to county jail ever again. Okay, so like Ademo, um, we actually put out in our group if anybody had any questions for you. Um, Don Jelly asked, why did you delete him? Delete him? <laughs> yeah, apparently you deleted him on Facebook. I don't know. Who is, his, who is he? Uh, Don Jelly. Don Jelly? That sounds real. Don yeah, Jelly. Yeah, he's a, real, he's a real person. He's a real person. Oh. He's a real character too. <laughs> I don't um, remember him. Now, okay, so Tyler Bush asks... Is there edibles in the Ohio prison system? Yeah, you can get anything in the prison system. Listen, the big thing, though, like, so in CRC, there was a lot more accessibility to things because it was near the city. So, like, the prisons in Ohio, they put you in the sticks. And so, like, when I, I was in a prison called Noble, and, like, unless you were in a gang, you couldn't get shit. And I wasn't really down. Like, so this, I was a short timer, so I was just willing to, like, just ride it out. Like, I'm just saying, there's a whole bunch of prison politics and things like that. You can get anything you want in prison. You just got to know the right people or be willing to mingle with those people. And I'm not, I chose not to mingle in certain trades for the fact that that's how you end up at the wrong place at the wrong time. 
other prison rules play effect. It doesn't matter what yard you're on, you know? Well, hey, I, I want to thank everybody for coming on tonight. We're running out of time here. We are going to take things over to our After Hours podcast. If you guys want to join, you're more than welcome to if, if you're available. Now, um, G.I. Mary Jane, do you have anything that you would like to plug before we end this? I've got my hands in everything these days, right? Uh, as general. I can't sit still. That's why I smoke weed. Um, no, I uh, just want to tell everybody to visit thefreedomline.com. Um, I've been on tour with Adam Kokesh through his non-presidential run. Um, I don't want to get into detail with that, but you can find all the details at thefreedomline.com. Um, and platoon420.com, which unfortunately has been kind of dull for the last 30 to 60 days after coronaphobia started and everybody started losing their minds. Um, but we report the drug war news from the perspective of the victims. Uh, so hopefully we can get that back up and running. There's a link there for merch and donations and all sorts of fun stuff. So you guys can uh, help me get the crew paid and get that going again. Cool. Cool. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And and we'd love to have you on again. Um, Absolutely. Ademo, is there anything you want to plug? Are you doing anything these days? You seem to be kind of like, you seem to be kind of like uh, Dude, sheltered I've, I've re- out of the limelight. Slave world. Yeah. I'm an office manager at a downtown place in Cleveland. Like I just kick it. So like, I'm not really on social media. I'm just kind of blending in my act. I like to say that my activist circle used to be very large and now it's much smaller and more targeted. I'd hope to think that through my daily activities, I'm making people think I'm pretty sure I, I know I get my coworkers minds turning there. They don't even know. But. Yeah. I mean, I, I can say that you're a personal hero of mine. I love how you, uh, you guys use jury nullification to get off like felonies nonetheless. You right. know, it, that's just like so fucking, so fucking huge. No, dude, that's just like fucking for real shit, dude. And, uh, you know, I value the time I've spent I, when I got to hang out with you at pork fest. That was like so awesome. When we smoked weed, you know, that was good badass. In hindsight, I, I know I got a really good deal on that weed case, but I wish I would have taken that to trial. Hey, I hey, I got a visitor, guys, not to interrupt. Oh, no. <laughs> Hold on here. <laughs> the mic. We're, we're ending right now if you want to say hi for a second. Sure. <laughs> What's up, Kokesh? Hey, hey, everybody. Hey. What's hey. going on? Hey, Adam. Adam, do you want to tell us anything about your run for the Libertarian presidential candidacy? Well, I think it's really awesome to be able to put localization out front for everybody because it is the everybody gets what they want strategy. And this is how the Libertarian Party goes from being a debate club to a political movement. Give everybody what they want. Localization, get government down to the community level where it's transparent and voluntary and accountable and customized to the needs of a community. And the only people who are really against this in the general population are the nationalist militarists and, you know, Screw them anyway. The rest of us can get what they want, and they have to stop having needless wars. I think everybody wins in that situation. Yeah, yeah, rock on, dude. Um, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Um, I'm glad you were able to j- jump in here at the end. Um, so now we're going to take things over to our uh, After Hours podcast. And uh, if you want to check that out, you can visit us at uh, patreon.com forward slash punk rock libertarians. Um, this podcast is also brought to you in part by the Conversations About Freedom podcast hosted by Moral Bob. We also have t-shirts over at libertariancountry.com. And if you type in the code PRL or the code PRL podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount. Until next time, live free. Or die.
Absolutely! 